Now, today is the start of our Global Encounters Week about being launched on mission. And I believe God wants to transform our neighborhood and the nations, and we have an exciting week in front of you. I've had many different missions moments in my life, in, in my life, in my life, and I feel like I've lived a couple of lives, um, but in my life, and one of my first memories of missions moment, and if you've been around the church for a while, you'll probably know the song. It is a Steve Green song called People Need the Lord. And I remember, if you go online, I listened to it this last week, and it feels dated. But if you go, but for me, I remember as a younger child hearing that song and people talking about how people needed to know Christ, and I was just moved by that song and the need of people around us. And I don't know about you, if you've had a missions moment where God has compelled in you a desire for the lost and broken and hurting. I've had multiple along the way. But my hope and prayer is that throughout this next week, maybe this morning, maybe at some other event throughout this week, that you have a missions moment where God stirs in you something new afresh or reminds you of some way that he's stirred in you. But God's desire is to bring people to know him. John Piper has this famous quote about missions which states, missions exists because worship doesn't. And worship is what we are created for. We are created to be worshipers beyond Sunday mornings, beyond a few songs. We are created to have a lifestyle of worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 puts it this way. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We are designed as worshipers. So I ask you this morning, who are you worshiping? And what are you worshiping? Because if we are designed for worship, we worship at all times. It's just a matter of what and who we worship. The theme for this spring's Global Encounters Week is peculiar people. And I believe that peculiar people are people who worship God not just in a moment during the week, but in their whole lifestyle. And that these worshipers are people who invite others to be worshipers of God. And that comes out in many unique ways. Eric Little put it this way. He was a famous Olympian runner in the early 1920s who turned uh, missionary after running. And he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. That he looked at running as a form of worship. Because if worship is lifestyle, everything we say and do and all that we act out on should be a form of worship. Let's take a look at a short video of people who are worshiping in kind of a unique way. When I take a realistic view of my own life, I'm grotesquely wealthy. And I know it. And I only know it mostly because I've seen grotesque poverty. I am not okay with that. There's something in me that stirs, that says, I can't have been given all this for me. <laughs> and if I can take a small amount of what I have, which is a gift anyway, and give it away in my time, in my abilities in my finances, 
then I, I have to. Our church has had really a long-standing relationship with the ministry happening in West Africa. Just across the entire church, we've developed a heart and a passion for the Alliance work in this part of the world. Because we're here in America, we feel like people just have access to the gospel. And when you take somebody to a, a village that's out in the middle of nowhere and they realize these people have no opportunity to hear the name of Jesus, much less understand what Jesus did for them, it's just amazing to see that transformation. They see their animals as some of their most important possessions. We eliminate the parasitic load, which in that region is tremendous. If they have one sheep or one goat, that is money in their bank. And without that, there's no food, they can't sell it, they can't get basic needs met. We usually bring over a, a pour-on product. It's a product that you can just squirt on their backs. You just don't have to get so close to those horns, you know. It really looks like you're a clown in a rodeo sometimes. You're just dodging crazy animals and you're running around with this squirter and you're just trying to get everything squirted and marked. Some of the facilities over there are, I mean, lacking is generous. You know, we did 12,000 animals in four days, which is just an insane amount. But the need was there, and, and we were ready. One of the village leaders, I think he was the chief, he said, why would you come all this way to take care of our animals? And the simple answer was, we're doing this because we want to show the love of Jesus. He said, well, the love of Jesus is welcome here. We go into an area two people, maybe, would say they would know Jesus. It was evil and dark, and you could sense it when you walked in the village. And four years later, walk into that village, and that's not the case anymore. And there's a little mud church over there, and you're like, oh my word, this, this is changing things. I mean, I helped with that. I did it in a really goofy way by pouring stuff on cattle, but I really did help in that body of believers. Those souls are not just numbers. They're not just over there. They're me. I am mandated to give them the good news in whatever form. And if bringing them the good news is taking worms out of their cattle, then that's the good news that I will bring them. love of Jesus is wanted there. You can see that this gentleman, an overflow of worship is lifestyle. And that's pretty peculiar to think about pouring the liquid on cattle to get rid of parasites. But it's a form of worship if we're doing everything to the glory of God. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn over to 1 Peter 2.9. There's also notes in your seat back. And here's what it says. But you are not like this. For you are a chosen people, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. In the King James Version of the Bible, the place where you read the words, God's very own possession, in the King James, it says peculiar people. 
So in other words, peculiar people are possessed by God. And in my mind, this word peculiar is not a negative connotation. It means that it's somebody who stands out, is different, that people take notice that there's something about you that is peculiar. The book where this uh, verse is found is called the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter falls on the Bible timeline that we use between the church and missions. This book was written about 30 years after Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. And it was written by a gentleman named Peter. Peter was one of 12 disciples of Jesus, and he was one of the three inner core followers of Jesus. Peter, if you recall, was the gentleman who said to Jesus, Jesus, let me step out of the boat and walk on the water. And he walked on water and then sank, but he was really the only one who walked on the water besides Jesus. Then he's also the one that said, Jesus, I will never deny you. And then later on, three times he denied Jesus in his greatest hour of need. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus finds Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, where Peter has gone back to fishing. And Jesus rebuilds that relationship, and Peter rebuilds that relationship and is ushered into ministry. When you look in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, Peter is the one who preaches to this massive group of people, and over 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. As the church spreads across the Roman Empire, Peter writes this letter. So it's 30 years later, churches have been planted, and this letter is written to all these people across the Roman Empire. Rome Rome in general is a, a nation made up of many gods, many different social practices, and at times it was hostile towards the Christian faith. And if you look at the book of 1 Peter, you see clearly that Peter is writing to a group of believers that is suffering, that is struggling, that has this culture pushing back at them to compromise their beliefs. And Peter is encouraging the people to not give up, to stay strong, to act differently. In other words, he's saying, be peculiar people. He then writes to them and he reminds them to not forget who they are. And in this verse, in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, we as peculiar people are going to be a few things. First, we're going to be people who are chosen by God. We are chosen by God. It means that if you know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus, he chose you. He came looking for you before you went looking for him. And he didn't pick you because you were the best of the bunch. He picked you because he wanted you. You weren't the last pick on the team, but he wanted you to be a part of his family. Ephesians, 4 puts it, Ephesians 1 verses 4 to 5 puts it like this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. We are peculiar people because we have been chosen by God. Or as another person put it, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. And being chosen by God should not make us proud or arrogant or boastful, but it should create in us humility and a desire to invite other people into relationship with God too. Next, Peter goes on and he states that we are peculiar people because we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In the Old Testament, 
when Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, over a period of time they arrived at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up Mount Sinai and some of the first words he hears from God in Exodus 19.6 are these. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So you can see Peter is paralleling this passage in the book of Exodus. But now he is saying not just the people of Israel, but actually all followers of Jesus Christ are a holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And what do priests do? Priests are mediators between God and people. And if you're a royal priesthood, you are a part of God's family, and you are supposed to stand in the gap for other people. Ultimately, Jesus is the great mediator, the great high priest, but underneath him, we also have a priesthood. We can pray for people. We can stand in the gap for people and see God transform lives. This is where we actually get the concept of the priesthood of all believers, that each and every person who follows Christ is considered a priest. It's not that I step up four steps and I have some kind of hotline to heaven compared to you. It's not that because I'm in a position of leadership here that somehow I'm closer to God than you. All of us have the ability to have the same relationship with God and the same connection with God. We love to put people on spiritual pedestals, but the issue with that is they fall off. Because none of us is perfect except Jesus. The word holy, with regards to holy nation, means that we are set apart as a special people. Now often when you think of holy, you get this picture of a halo in a perfect flowing white robe. That's not the type of holiness that God is talking about here. When you think about, when I think about holiness, I think about gritty getting dirt under your fingernails, getting down into the, the, to humanity and just getting with people and demonstrating who God is to people in need of a Savior. If you think about the greatest demonstration of this was Jesus. He was holy, or he is holy, he is perfect, and he came to earth as God and didn't give up his holiness but related to the broken, beat-up misfits in society and said, I'm going to show you what a holy God looks like. That's the kind of holiness that I believe we need to demonstrate. And it doesn't say holy individuals, it says a holy nation. That collectively together we need to live this way. Not simply as individuals. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. And as a holy nation, we also must recognize that our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. And that we are temporary residents here. Many people get concerned about their national identity and we can miss that ultimately as followers of Christ, our citizenship, permanent residency is in heaven and not here. So just think about this. That we are peculiar people because we are chosen by God. We are a royal royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And we are also peculiar because we are God's personal possessions. Or as it says in different translation, peculiar people. That being possessed by God must make us peculiar and different than the world around us. And Peter knew that if we identified ourselves with Christ so closely, the world was going to look at us and say, you're different. 
You look different. You act different. You have different values, different systems of beliefs than us. And we are not called to force our belief on anybody or try to make people follow Jesus. We're called to invite people and to be who God has created them to be. 1 Peter 2.9 finishes with these words, that as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of, his dark, out of darkness into his wonderful life. Wonderful life. That we are going to demonstrate to others the goodness of God if we have experienced Christ for ourselves. In other words, we are peculiar people because we are worshipers of God. We are worshipers of God. And this exactly parallels another verse in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, which states, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. In other words, when we worship God, when we set apart Christ as Lord in our lives, when we are so focused on worshiping God, people are going to look at our lives and say, you're different. And they're going to ask about the hope that you have, the life that you live. And it says that when they ask, be ready. Be ready to give an answer. Don't jam it down their throat. Don't get out of sorts with it. Simply be ready and do this with gentleness and respect. Boy, could our society use a little bit more gentleness and respect. But as worshipers, worship will overflow into our lives. As stated before, John Piper states, mission exists. Because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Or you can flip it around and say, mission comes from worship. So I ask you again, how is your worship this morning? How are you doing with worshiping God? Not just for a moment on a Sunday morning, but your life. How is your life doing in worship of the living God? Because if missions comes from worship, and mission is about making worshipers of God, if we aren't personally worshiping, it's going to be very hard to invite others to do the same. So how was your worship this morning? If you reflect on your last week, did you feel God's pleasure? Maybe when you were running? Did you feel God's pleasure when you were driving down the highway or riding the metro or working at your desk or cubicle or whatever sort of thing you work in? Were you able to take moments of worship throughout the week? Because as we live as worshipers, it's naturally going to overflow into mission. People will look at us and say, that is a peculiar people. Because they don't just go to church They live this 24-7. And they're caught up with the goodness of God and living out the goodness of God and sharing the goodness of God with those around them. We're going to take a moment to sing the same song. It was a new song that we just sung before the message. And it's interesting in this song, it seems that out of this song you can hear that as we sing 
it launches us on mission. Don't mistake this song by saying, well, I'm going to sing and set people free. I think there's a level of that, but it means that we need to take action on our songs. Have you ever heard the statement that Christians don't say lies, they sing lies? We want to be people whose lifestyles match up with what we sing and proclaim. And this morning, as we finish in worship, this song has a great vertical focus and a great horizontal focus. And what I encourage you to do is simply this. If you've wandered from worshiping God, just enter back in and worship. And maybe you'll have a missions moment here in worship, but let that flow over to your life. And if you are worshiping God, let this be a springboard to launch you even more on mission for him. That the people around us, that the nations would experience the goodness of God through our lives. Father, you have called us to be worshipers of God. And that worship should naturally flow into mission. And Lord, I want to be somebody that doesn't simply sing certain things and have a cognitive dissonance between what I say and what I sing and how I live. But I truly want to worship you in beauty and holiness and in spirit and in truth and allow that worship to overflow into living on mission for you. Lord, you are worth it. And you are worthy of all our praise and all our worship. We are simply created beings that come back to worship the creator of all of us. And Father, may you stir in us a greater heart to worship and may that heart of worship spill over into mission. Amen.